Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Psalm 126, we're studying these songs for the road as these pilgrims, the worshipers would have traveled, they would have made their way up to the city of Jerusalem to worship, their hearts would have been filled with this music. As they would worship, they would be singing these songs. There would be places in the temple where uh, stairs were and priests would be and music would be sung and their hearts would be filled like going to a conference and going to worship and then the time would come to an end and of these three different feasts each year, the Israelites and those worshipers would leave the city and they would make their way, begin making their way home and they would be filled and they would be singing all of these songs. This morning, I believe, was supposed to be our Sunday after youth camp, where our kids would have been wearing out whoever was driving whatever vehicle with all of the songs that they would have learned uh, that week at camp, last week at camp. And due to COVID-19, so many things have changed. Our week was canceled, but Lake Ann is open. And this week, they will begin in some of the programs. And uh, we'll be praying for Ken Rudolph as he speaks even this week to some of the campers who are there. And we understand what that is, to be filled with joy, to be filled with music. Even though there may be chaos all around, but to be with God's people, to worship with God's people, to see smiles on the face, to be uh, in the presence of one another as we worship the Lord and we hear the word of God as it were to wash over our ears, to wash over our hearts, and to purify our minds. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, Paul writes this, and this is another New Testament verse that points us back to why it's important to study the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, Paul writes, he says, now these things happen to them. So he's speaking about Old Testament. These things happen to them as an example, but they were written down Okay, that's the Word of God. That's the Bible. That's the 66 books that we have. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So the reason why we study the Word of God and we look at examples, one of the reasons that we believe in Scripture is because it does not hide the failures of great men and great women that God used mightily. It tells it like it is. It tells the truth about humanity and about the Lord. Psalm 126, if you will follow along there, we're going to see this psalm breaks down into past, present, future. Past, present, and future. If you did not get a worship guide, uh, a, a bulletin, a place to put notes, they're around on some of the tables. You can download that. You can find it on the webpage. It's there uh, for you to access. Psalm 126 The psalmist says, when the Lord, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. 
Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, will you bless your word to us today? Will you help us, will you give us hearts to hear what your spirit would say to us today and make us more like Christ? Change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think about that opening of Psalm 126, when the Lord, that's really the message of the entire Bible. Today, we're gonna look at a song of joy And just by way, we've been doing this each week, Psalm 120, the Lord is my deliverer, all right? So he he looks up above his surroundings, Psalm 121, the Lord is my helper. He looks up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Not the hills, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 122, the Lord is my peace. He looks beyond the hills to the house of the Lord, place of worship. Then we see in Psalm 123, the Lord is my master. He looks up to the heavens. Psalm 124, the Lord is my salvation. Psalm 125, last Sunday, the Lord is my protector. Psalm 126, the Lord is my restorer. He's the one who restores. Who doesn't love a story about an underdog winning? Have you ever turned off the game and your team was losing and you went to bed and you missed the game? You missed the comeback. You woke up the next morning and you were ready to be sad with all your teammates, all your friends, only you find out they stayed up and they watched the comeback, the win, and you went to sleep and you got a few extra minutes of sleep and you missed the game or you weren't there. I've had that happen. We, we went to a White Sox game. Uh, I, don't, I forget what group we were with. And we went to the White Sox game and it was the new field and uh, south side of Chicago and I just wanted to see, I, they had fireworks. They would go off after a, uh, after a home run. We were there for about seven or eight innings, and we're like, you know what? Let's beat the traffic. Let's go. We walked down those, you know, we were in the nosebleeds, walked down the steps, walked out, and we were just starting down the ramp, and we heard White Sox had just hit a home run, and we missed it. We were out. We heard the reverberation, but we missed it. We weren't there. We're like, ah, we left three minutes too early. Just three minutes too early. Why did we leave? Sometimes the other side of the story is we love to hear when somebody who is very wealthy, very famous, and they switch positions, and they give that away, and it's a reverse. It's a a reverse of the situation. God is the way maker. Our God is always able to make a way when there seems to be no way. So Psalm 126 is filled with praise, with prayer, and with promise. Promise of the Lord. He is our restorer. We're going to see three responses, all right, this morning. Three responses of the people of God during hard times. And that's the theme of our whole series. Highest praise in hardest times. Many poems, songs have been written not from the mountaintop, but from the lowest of valleys. That's why it's important to read biographies, Christian biographies, stories of those men and women who have served in missions to understand how did they trust in the Lord? How can I grow in my trusting the Lord? 
The first response is this, and we see this in verses 1, 2, and 3. Give praise. Give praise. Exalt the Lord for past victories. When we're giving the Lord praise, we're remembering what he's done for us. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to be a people who praise the Lord? To not be fickle. When everything's going good, when all the bills are paid, when we're feeling fine, and it just is a great day, then I praise the Lord. You're going to have a few days of your entire life to praise the Lord if you're waiting on all things to line up like that. But if your commitment is to praise the Lord in every situation, in every season, then the question is going to beg to follow, how? How, is it, how do we do this? Someone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, this, is, this, is, this would be an anchor to them when they're drowning. This wouldn't be helpful until they lift their eyes to the Lord and they turn from their sin and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they find the Lord to be not against them, but for them. Letter A under there is remember. Remember all that God has done for us. Remember what the Lord has done for us. When the Lord, that's, that's how this, this scene opens up. It's like we're going through all of these psalms. This is the seventh psalm of ascent. And it's like, what's the next scene? And the scene unfolds with hearing the, the worship leader and the people of God say, when the Lord, when the Lord what? I mean, how long can you camp out there of when the Lord, when the Lord restored, and that's a word for turn back, the fortunes, and that's a word for captivity of Zion. We were like those who dream. The Lord turned the situation around. The hand of God was at work for Israel. He was at work restoring them when the situation was hopeless. They saw no way out. And at that moment, the children of Israel were turned loose from captivity. Now, what I want to do as we think back, or we remember, that I want to give to you from Scripture, here's how we remember. And we're going to look at these three. Moses, he told them what was coming. Jeremiah is a prophet who, when he prophesied, he said 70 years, and then we're going to see when Daniel reads this prophecy. So I want you to go with me in your Bibles back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we see Moses, this is his final sermon. If it's your final time speaking to someone, what do you want to say to them? If you knew this is it, this is everything that I'm going to say before I depart this dirt ball and my body will be laid in the grave is different than Moses. What are you going to say? Deuteronomy chapter 30, he's coming down to his conclusion. He's coming down to the so what of the sermon. The, like, I'm putting the ball in your court. What are you going to do with this word of the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter 30, just follow along. It's not going to be on the screen. And when the, all these things come upon you, Moses said, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Now, just pause. They, they haven't even entered the land yet. Moses will not lead the people in the land. Joshua will. 
Moses is not going to go in there, and he's already telling them when you are in exile. When the Lord drives you out from the land he hasn't even given to you yet, then I want you to remember these promises. Verse 2, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I have commanded you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always about the heart. It's not about going through perfunctory works, motions, religious details. God has always been and always will be concerned about the heart. Verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. Sounds familiar to Psalm 126, doesn't it? And have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Does that sound familiar to Jesus' message? And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. Remember that line right there. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your father's. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you, here it is, turn to the Lord your God. In case you missed it the first, how many ever times he said this? With all your heart and with all your soul. He's giving them a word, and if you drop down in that chapter to the very end, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, and this is what a preacher does, this is what a teacher does, this is what a parent does every time when we set the word of the Lord before someone, that we're setting before someone a choice, a blessing and a curse. Therefore, here it is, life, death, blessing, curse. Therefore, here's what Moses says, Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that your Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. All of those promises are for you. That's what Moses is saying to the people of God. And in Christ, those promises are to us, all of the promises that Christ has given to us. But it's life or death. That this sermon is bringing the message of life, death to every listener. That this message leads to life, or this message actually for those who would walk away it leads to death, and you have to know that, but I can't make that 
decision for you. Moses couldn't do the deciding for the people of God. He simply delivered to them the message, the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, now there it is, I've given it to you. How will you respond? Psalm 78, we're not gonna read through that this morning, 72 verses of here's how the Lord acted, here's how Israel responded, and it always is kind of a downward spiral, and the Lord was faithful, and, this, and Israel went through a cycle. They'd hear the word of the Lord, yes, we're gonna obey the word of the Lord, and then they would re- rebel and not listen to the prophets, and they would wander off, the Lord would discipline them, they would repent, they would come back, and the cycle would start over and over that Israel would do. Psalm 78, I encourage you to spend some time maybe in that psalm at some point, even today, and just think about how this message fits together with Psalm 78 in a succinct way in that chapter. Jeremiah, go with me to 2 Chronicles. All right, so now 2 Chronicles is coming to an end. We've gone through the whole time. We've gone through the time of the judges, conquest, Joshua let him in, judges, all the time period of the judges. Then they said, give us a king, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then the divided kingdom under Rehoboam, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, The northern kingdom fell first. They went into Assyrian captivity. And then finally Judah fell and they were carried away into Babylon and then into Persia. But listen to what is taking place in Chronicles. It's right at the cusp of being carried away into the Babylonian captivity. It's the last king that's reigning in Israel in this place. The land is is decimated. Listen to how this word ends. And you're going to hear a turn in here. You're going to hear a scene change. You're going to feel a lighting shift in this text. Okay. If you read Chronicles, you'll see it go down king after king. And there was a righteous king every now and then, but many of the kings were awful, wicked, vile. Even the king in Jeremiah's day took the word of the Lord, just cut it up and he burned the scroll, threw it in the fire. That's what I think about the word of the Lord. There are people who are, would even maybe do that today with the message in their heart. They're just throwing that message in the fire. Like, I'm not listening to this. Well, you don't have no say over me. I don't have to listen. I don't have to respond to this. Listen, in, in 2 Chronicles 36, and right here in, in verse 15, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. How did the people respond to the word of the Lord? Verse 16, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Basically, you could sum that up to say the lights went out. The Lord turned out the lights on his people. He mercifully sent them messenger after messenger after a messenger. And you know what they did? Messenger after messenger after messenger. You love it when someone mocks you? You love it when someone mocks you? That that really lets you know they're taking you seriously, right? Taking you seriously. How long do you want to engage in that kind of a conversation when somebody just keeps sending your words back at you and making a mimicking and, and mockery of it? The Lord kept sending his messengers. They said, we're not having it. We're not listening. We don't care. So listen to what the Lord did. Verse 17, 2 Chronicles 36. Therefore, 
He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or age. He gave them all into his hand. Verse 18, and all of the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the kings and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all of its, pal- all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Persia. Okay, there's a, there's a fast forward right there that happens quickly. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. The Lord was absolutely serious about his people having a day of rest. He's still serious about that today, that we have a day of rest. It's called the Lord's Day. Not our day, it's the Lord's Day. Now, here, we just, we're left in suspense. The land has gone into a timeout, 70-year timeout. He mentioned Jeremiah gave this prophecy. Now, here's the, here's the scene shift. Verse 22, now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Can we just pause right there? If you are prone to be politically just all over the map and driven by whatever political party, whatever the posts are, whatever the rage is, can you just remember what Cyrus, ruler of the world, said all of these years ago? That it's the Lord who gives kingdoms. And he says, and he, the Lord, the God of heaven, has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. It's a complete, where did this turn of events come from? They didn't listen to the word of the Lord. They rebelled against the prophets. The Lord sent the word through Jeremiah. The king said, here's what I think about your message. And he cut the scroll and burned it up. The Lord sent it back to him. The Lord sent his people into captivity. And to prove his sovereignty, he raises up Cyrus. And Cyrus says to the entire world, hear ye, hear ye. Hey, all people who serve this God, you're free to go. Go on home. The sad thing is, they didn't all go back. Many of them did not go back. Only a small percentage went back. I've talked with other pastors who are concerned 
that even as the doors begin to open of the church, there are some people, for some reasons, important, and some, you're wondering, where are the people of God? Is there a longing to return, to go back? For many in Israel, they didn't go back. Well, it's a long journey. Well, I'm pretty settled here in a foreign land. Read the book of Esther and what happened there. But some people did. Some people were like, we can go home. Pack our stuff. We're going home. Let's go. Let's make the journey. And their hearts would be filled with praise returning from exile. Now listen, the in-between, go to the other side of the book of Psalms. Go to Daniel. In Daniel, we have a prayer. Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, we see the prophet who comes across the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. He understood what Moses prophesied. He knew what Moses said, what Moses preached. He understood, and and he begins to do the math. He begins to crunch the numbers. He begins to look at the calendar. In Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, the Lord God seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Sound familiar? We have sinned. Notice that Daniel did not say, your people have sinned. He said, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as it is to, at this day the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord, our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord, our God, is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, 
who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. He's remembering and have made a name for yourself. As at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath, here it is, turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, for, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for, our, for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We just had the whole Old Testament almost in a summary by Moses' sermon by Jeremiah's prophecy, and by Daniel's prayer. And it looks impossible, it looks hopeless, and everything turns around. We had the picture last week of Mount Zion. And at this point, when Daniel's praying, Mount Zion was turned over to Babylon. Right now, today, Mount Zion, there's no temple there. That's that's an Islamic holy site on, on the place where Solomon's temple once was. Our goal is not for an earthly kingdom. It's that the kingdom of the Lord will come. The Lord would turn back the events and he would release and all of the Israelites were allowed, were given permission to go home and they could go back and go back to that place. But when they got back and that's where you get into Ezra and you get into Nehemiah, the temple's destroyed, the walls are destroyed and it's time to build, it's time to rebuild. It's time because this is where we worship the Lord. The greatest joy, that city, when Daniel's praying is the greatest time of sorrow. The people of God were overwhelmed by the power of Yahweh. Deliverance was humanly impossible, and so they respond with like, it was like a dream. Like, if this is a dream, don't wake me up. Because we were in captivity, and all of a sudden, the ruler of all the earth said, the ruler of heaven and earth said, let my people go, and he responded, and it didn't need any 10 plagues. And people went home rejoicing. The hand of God is at work, not just for them, but is also at work in our lives. This work of restoration to belong to Jesus means that we belong to Christ. His love displayed, Romans 5 eight. but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for you and me to become good, to put our best foot forward, to join a church, to do some religious act. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to release us from the bondage of sin through no effort on our part, to release us from the dominion and domain of Satan through no power on our part, to redeem us by the power of Jesus Christ through no merit of our own, undeserving, unworthy, and Christ in love has given us life. So we remember. 
how often do we stop and remember? Now, if you're looking at the notes, you're thinking, that took a long time to get through remember. It did. A lot of sermons are this way. Once you understand, remember what the Lord has done, remember who the Lord is, often that helps you work through the next situation. But if you forget the Lord and you forget obedience and you forget worship, then you will strive and spin and go in circles and round and round and I'm just scratching my head and nothing seems to work out. You have to go back to the basics. Remember the Lord. And that leads us to rejoice. When we remember what the Lord has done, we can rejoice in all that the Lord has done. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Do you catch how he, how he switches up there? Our, okay? And then he goes singular, plural, the group, singular, one voice. We were together on this. The congregation was unified in praise to God. Their mouth was filled with laughter. Words are superseded by laughter. Okay, we were teasing Stephen Demzich this week about this. He was telling us jokes. He was working so hard to try and get me and Lola to laugh at some of his jokes. Working so hard, I said, I think this is going to come back up in a sermon. Because we were explaining, no, that, that's a funny joke, Stephen. That's a funny joke. What he was going for was not words saying, that was a funny joke. That was all right. That wasn't too bad. He was going for laughter. When you tell the joke, you don't want people saying, oh, that was a funny joke. You want them to laugh. You want their mouth to be filled with laughter, their tongue to be filled with shouts of joy. Some of you, after the first song, you wanted to shout with joy, and you held back. I don't, I don't, nobody else is. Stop caring what other people think. If God has done something in your heart and in your life, and you want to shout the word of God says it's okay to shout for joy. Matter of fact, when the whole congregation is moved, the whole congregation with one voice is not holding back refrain, but liberated to praise the God who lives and reigns forever and ever and ever. The New Testament church is designed by God to reflect his glory by being united together in Christ we studied Corinthians. Paul rebuked the Corinthians. Oh, I'm of this. Peter, I'm of this. all these different. No, we're, we're one. We're one body. We're to be united in love and in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says. It'll come on the screen. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together, okay, there's harmony right there that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. But Paul, they're not the same ethnicity as I am. But Paul, we have different political perspectives and so we don't see along. But Paul, their skin color is different than mine. But Paul, we don't see eye to eye on everything. He says, hey, if you're in Christ, there's something that unites you greater than what separates you. Amen? Okay, that's what, it, that's what Jesus does. And that leads us to not only remember and rejoice, but now it's make room. Make room. That's what Paul just said in verse 7. Welcome one another. 
When people see this kind of unity, when they see the glory of God revealed in his people, then that's when a church needs to get some more seats and build another building and make room because that's what people are looking for. And it's the only thing that stands the time, the test of time and eternity. We are not the end of the means. It's not all about us. But that God would use us to display his glory, his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, forbearing with one another, that's attractive. To bring other nations into the worship of Jesus. Then they said, you hear this? It went from this praise and we're laughed, our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues are filled with shouts of joy. And then the, the pagan nations, the heathen nations, they said, the Lord has done great things for them. They didn't say, oh man, they did some great things for the Lord. Because that was an impossible situation. That didn't make any sense. They were 70 years trapped. And the nation said, did you hear what their God did for them? Yeah, it sounds like what he did for them when he brought them out of Egypt. Yeah, it sounds like what he did when he brought them into the land through Joshua's hand. Yeah, they have an amazing God. And the whole design was not, we have an amazing God. The whole design was, yes, can I, can I tell you about him? Will you come and worship him? So make room. Make room for those who have seen what God has done for us by his mighty hand. And again, Psalm 78, you'll see his mighty acts over and over and over in those 72 verses. What about us in the New Testament? What did Jesus say? When people see what God is doing in and through you, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see how it's the same? Old Testament, look what their God has done for them. New Testament, whatever we're doing, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God so that people are attracted. We are adorning the gospel that when people come around us, it's not same song, second verse, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, whatever may be you know, the, the news of the moment. We get our message from somewhere greater. It's from the word of the living God. It ought to change us. It, we ought to be different. And then we see return thanks. So we remember what the Lord has done for us. We rejoice in all the Lord has done for us. We make room for others and they hear what God has done for us. And then we return thanks. The Lord has done great things for us. And the Israel could say, let me tell you, we are glad. Some of them said, we're home. We can't, we're finally back. I heard about this place. My granddad told me about this place. My father told me about this place. My mom told me that I was born right over here and I've been gone all these years and now 70 years later, this child would be coming back as an old man. But I'm going home. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Listen to what John Calvin said. He said, but the return of the Jewish people from the Babylonian captivity, having been a miracle of such splendor as was sufficient to swallow up and confound all the thoughts of men, it compels us to own that it was the signal work of God. Do you know that's what salvation is? No work of man. 
the signal work of God. So respond. Respond how? Give praise. Give praise to the Lord for all he's done in the past. What about us? What are we currently needing God to do in our families, in our own hearts, in our own minds, our lives, in our church, in our nation? What are we asking God to do? What are we praising him for that he's already done? Secondly, let's offer prayer. We see this in verse four, that he invites us, bring your requests. What are you going through right now? Current needs, current situations. What do we do about that? Fret, worry? I've said it almost every week. Do we keep like blasting social media? What does it take to get through our thick skulls? Prayer. To my thick skull, pray. Pray. God, we need your help. Listen to what it says in verse four. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. That, that sounds like verse one. Like streams in the Negev. Lord, we need your help right now. This is good, but we're not out of the woods yet. So we're bringing our requests based on who you are, what you've done in the past. We remember you. We rejoice. We're making room for others. We're returning thanks. And now here, receive our prayer. Pray for specific needs. God, we need you to turn back. We need you. That's one thing for you to sit around and, and your grandparents talk about how God provided and God did. What are you seeing God do? What am I seeing God do in my life? What situations are no hopers? Hopeless situations. I don't like when people say, and they over a situation, like they're, no, that's just the way they always are. That's just the way it's gonna be. It's not true. That denies the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God to change situations. And he is, this, this book is filled with situations and lives that he changed. So when you think about your parents, your siblings, your children, your coworkers, and you're tempted to say, this is hopeless. We just keep going round and round. This situation is never gonna change. Then remember Psalm 126, verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. This is a spiritual work of God. Israel needed God to intercede once again. That's why we sang it this morning, do it again. We need you to do it again. We've heard what you have done, but we're asking you to do it right here, right now, July, 2020. In this year of whew, every week is coming, we didn't see that coming, right? I mean, did you see the sharks in North Carolina? It, I, I was shown a picture last night. The whole ocean is like black with sharks. I'm like 2020 just has more and more surprises. And then came a bird and he just grabbed one shark and he was like flying away with a shark in his talons. I'm like, wow, he didn't see that coming. That's, that, I mean, that's... That was a turn of events. You want to talk about turn of events? In Isaiah 38, we're not going to take the time, but King Hezekiah is going to die. He gets a message from Isaiah, from the Lord, you're going to die. And he turns to the Lord and he says, remember, Lord, remember, I love you, I worship you. And then Isaiah is on his way home and the Lord says, Isaiah, turn around, go back and tell him he has 15 more years. I just changed the turn. I turned the events around in his life. That's in Isaiah 38. 
I, I bring all this to you today because whatever situations you're fa- facing, whether it be marriage, whether it be parenting, whether it be what health, whatever it may be, I want us to be encouraged and reminded, pray for specific needs and also pray for a supernatural response. I think as a church, I think as me personally, as a pastor, I wanna stop praying small prayers. This psalm is challenging me to pray big prayers, God-sized prayers. And I, to be honest with you, it's not that I haven't known this through my life. I, I, I remember this and I forget this. I remember this and I forget this. I remember what God has done and I remember to pray and then I forget and somehow it just always wants to slide down into, I'll, I'll try to work this out instead of we need to pray about this. I will pray about this. The praying for a response that is impossible without God. And when he mentions the streams of the Negeb, that's what it is. You ever seen a video where people are in a mountain area and they're walking, and they're just walking around and it's a dry riverbed and there's a bridge. I have one video in mind and there's a bridge and people have their video cameras and they hear something and they begin to feel something before they can see it. And in a moment, here comes a log jam, mudslide down that, 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 you know, that path in the mountain. And here comes water, mud, logs, everything in the path. And it was, you could just walk right through there. There was no problems. And then, and it takes the bridge out. Just in a moment, where'd that come from? That happens in the desert. Dry, barren, looks lifeless. And in come the rains in the savannah. And all of a sudden, the next day, you wake up and it's like, where did all this life come from? That was impossible. And the Lord is the one who says, I do that. That's what I do. And how long are you going to keep fretting and worrying and trying and striving? And hello, like the streams in the south, the streams in the Negev, will you just turn to me and trust me? Give me the situation and let me use you in the situation. It isn't, you know, Jesus, take the wheel, you know, here we go. No, he uses us in these situations. We can trust him. John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now this verse is in the context of a chapter and of a book, but Jesus is saying, come to the Father in my name. I'm giving you this access And I need to be reminded of this. James chapter four and verse two, just a portion of this verse, you do not have because you you do not ask. Oh, that we can erase the idea that God is the, 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 you know, grandfather who's angry, who doesn't want to share and is always mad. No, he's a loving father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And we can come to him and he cares, and he's not stingy, and he's not selfish, but he's also working in our lives using trials and withholding blessings at times for our greater good, and we always have to remember that. 
Give praise to God for all that he's done. Offer prayer to to God for all that we need. And lastly, trust God's promises. And this is what the farmer does. He has to get out of his bed, often very early in the morning. He has to eat the breakfast and he has to get out of his house. And he has to get in a tractor and he has to take the seed and put it in the ground. All the work to clear the land, rocks, stumps. We had a lot going on Tuesday night. That office property's looking good down there. A lot of hard work was done. But I'm glad we had a stump grinder and not an ax because we'd still be there working on probably the first stump. Farmers, they know what it is to work. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. There's the shouts. Bringing his sheaves with him. I think when I was a kid, I thought that was sheep. You know, bringing in the sheep. Bringing in the sheaves. My mom was telling me about my grandfather. They would do that. They would bundle all of that out in the field, bringing in sheaves. And when you're bringing in sheaves, it's better than taking out seed. We are responsible to trust and obey. There's a responsibility that we have. We have to trust. That farmer cannot say, I have faith in you, Lord. I have faith that you're going to give me a great harvest. And his wife say, that's great. When are you going to put the seed in the ground? Not yet. Nope, not. I'm going to save it. You might need it. We might get hungry. And understand, when you have limited supplies and you're going to put that seed in the ground, you're taking, uh, in one writer saying, you're taking bread out of your children's mouth to put it in the ground. And if you don't take it out of their mouth, that, that hurts, that's sorrow, that's we're going to go without, but we're going to put it in the ground. And if I don't put it in the ground, we're going to eat for a little while longer and then we're not going to have anything. So you're taking that seed, you're putting it in the ground, and you're trusting the Lord where he is sovereign. We are responsible to trust and obey. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, sorrow is our sowing, rejoicing shall be our reaping. That's good, isn't it? I was like, man, I wish I could write stuff like that right there. That's why I read the things that dead guys have written. It just stays around. Sorrow is our sowing, rejoicing shall be our reaping. Matthew Henry said it this way, weeping must not hinder sowing. When we suffer ill, we must be doing well. I want to read this again. Weeping must not hinder sowing. Do you know how easy it is to be sidetracked from doing what matters for eternity? Pastor, I'll start serving as soon as this, as soon as that, as soon as the other, as soon as I'm going to get around to putting the Lord first, but not yet. I've got this. You don't know what all this stuff. Weeping must not hinder sowing. When we suffer ill, we must be doing well. There's a general investment in the harvest. The people of God are out there. But then there's a personal investment that it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. Verse six, he who goes out. That's great if your church is doing great. What are you doing in the harvest, in the work of the harvest? It's personal. He who, and this is it, this is the great commission, go out. Go tell the message. Go make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Got to put it in the ground 
Spurgeon said it this way. He says, as there is no birth without travail, so there is no spiritual harvest without painful tillage. You gotta work the soil. You gotta work the land. So we have a responsibility. But I'm thankful for this. God is sovereign to provide and bless. He is sovereign to provide and bless. His goodness is proven. His power is unmatched. His grace is enough. He's sovereign. He is sovereign and was sovereign at creation. He was sovereign in Moses' day. He was sovereign in Joshua's day. He was sovereign in Jeremiah's day. He was sovereign in Daniel's day. He was sovereign through the whole rebuilding of the temple. He was sovereign when Jesus walked this earth. He is sovereign today. He is sovereign over all things. There's going to be a picture that's going to come up on on the screen. I've got four pictures my mom sent to me this week. One of those guys on the screen is my grandfather, a farmer in Nebraska. You want to talk about soil that looks pretty hard to work? It's right there and not a lot of tools. The next is the harvest. These are potatoes. They're bringing in potatoes behind them, and that wagon is just filled overflowing with potatoes. Maybe that's why I like potatoes so much. I don't know. I always try, my my grandpa had a a thing with his hair. He'd loop his hair. I tried and tried. I failed every time. It just never worked. He had a loop. I I just always wanted to have the loop. The next picture is kind of blurry, but he's on that John Deere tractor. You You know how you can get to a farmer, right? You can find out what color their tractor is and then mess with them blue tractor and you just tease him about a red tractor. I, I did this to kid on, kids on the bus. Like, oh yeah. And I, I can just talk to them about John Deere. If, they're, if their family is from the international, you know, red tractors, just tease them a little bit about John Deere green. That's my grandfather's tractor. And this last one is one I love. All those potatoes. They've been long gone for quite a while. My grandfather made a commitment to the Lord that every person that would come on his farm, salesman, whatever, that he would invest the gospel into them and he would plant the seed of the word. He wouldn't work on the Lord's day. And his testimony was the Lord blessed him. Other farmers were working on Sunday and he said, I made a commitment. I will not work on the Lord's day. And he said, the Lord blessed me. I got more done in six days than the other guys got done in seven. That was his testimony. And as a young boy, I watched him still. Caring about the souls of people. And he would sit with, we'd have sailors come into our house on a Thanksgiving. I remember this one day. My grandfather sat next to one of those sailors. In a strong, tender way, just began to tell him about Jesus. Not preachy. Just filled with praise for what God had done in his life. A man of prayer. He knew how to pray. Me and my grandma, my grandparents would pray, faithful in prayer. And he trusted God's promises. And the harvest that really matters is the harvest that comes from eternal things. It's the harvest that comes from the gospel. 
Listen to what Calvin says. Thus we shall experience that all true believers have a common interest in this prophecy. That God will not only wipe away tears from their eyes, but that he will also diffuse inconceivable joy through their hearts. Take away the tears, that'll happen, Revelation says, but inconceivable, never-ending, all-surpassing joy. So what's your next step? Give praise to God. Offer prayer, whatever you're going through right now, and trust his promises. And we're never gonna graduate from this sermon, beloved. We're gonna need this tomorrow and 10 years from now. Remember what the Lord has done. Pray to him about what we need right now and trust him for the future because he is faithful. Trust his promises. Questions? How have you seen God's ability to turn situations around? How have you seen God turn events around in your life, in your family? Think about that. Give praise to God. Who or, or what are you praying for right now? Who's on your prayer list right now? What are you praying? What situations are you praying for right now? And you need God to intervene. Had it not been the Lord on our side, I know a lot of you are carrying situations that are right there dear to your heart. What promise of God can you hold on to as you step out in faith and obedience? Take him at his word. Prove him on his promises. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all you have done. Thank you for your faithfulness, what you are doing and what you will do. We trust you, Lord. You are good and all that you do is good. So Lord, teach us your statutes. I thank you for these people who are here this morning, those who have joined us online. Father, I pray that you will bless your word in our hearts and lives and conform us to the image of Christ. In Jesus' great and glorious name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.